you share like these really deep moments with whoever you're with when you spend extended times outside and skiing is like one you know it's the winter means to doing that at least in the yukon where you can ski like i don't know well arguably almost 12 months of the year this is frisky or the 60 we bring you stories about love Love and dating dating in the the north. north i'm your host karen mccall and i'm joined by co-host jordan patrick We're recording in Whitehorse, Yukon, north of the 60th parallel. Where it's winter seven whole months of the year. (laughs) You need to find someone to keep you warm, that's for sure. Hey, frisky folks. So as we just said in the intro of this podcast, winters are long in the Yukon, in the north. And so we develop a lot of pastimes. That's an understatement. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it's, well, I guess it's late it's like almost march now so we're getting into spring but yeah i mean it's been a long winter by all accounts i'd say yeah we've had it pretty easy this winter too you know i was just dumping my garbage well i mean recycling at raven that's a recycling depot and overheard people talking about the complainers who were like it's so cold at minus 30 and then when it's up to like what like minus two now and they're like oh it's so slippery (laughs) it's true it's hard it's hard to please us i actually i just i like the cold for the blue skies that we get but but anyway like like I guess in the winter in any case like you have to find hobbies whether they're inside hobbies you know and there's some worthwhile inside hobbies for sure but there's also some really good outside hobbies and one of them which is really I think interwoven with the culture of the Yukon is skiing and just sort of as a case in point of skiing um, it was the last winter olympics more than a quarter of the Canadian cross-country ski team was comprised of skiers from the Yukon. And we have only like 0.1% of the Canadian population. So obviously a big ski mm. culture here. But of course, this is a dating podcast. So uh, <laughs> skiing and dating, how do those connect? Oh, well, they do. Well, let me ask you, Jordan, have you been on any ski dates or had any kind of experiences with that? Disasters. Everyone Every one of them. Oh, I mean, a disaster is, is a bit of a stretch here. I like to exaggerate on the podcast, but it, it's really hard to connect with someone when you're fumbling with cross-country skis and trying not to trip over yourself. And and it's funny the first time and then maybe the second time you fall down, but then, you know, I, I find you quickly discover people's patience level, including, you know, your own. Yeah, uh, for sure. Uh, But I think my friend Ellery has had a slightly different experience on her ski dates. Uh, That's who we're hearing from in today's episode, because Ellery realized that a lot of her dating life has involved skiing in one way or another. So let's go to that chat now. How important is skiing in your life? Let's start there. Like out of 10? Sure. Or like (laughs) relatively speaking. (laughs) uh well I feel like I can't like like right now in my life skiing is like you know I've got some other things going on but skiing like underlying is always like you know top eight or nine for sure what kind of skiing do you do oh yeah we should talk about kinds of skiing okay Uh, skiing 101 first of all there's nordic skiing which is further divided into classic skiing or skate skiing and then there is backcountry skiing, which deserves an explanation because it is less common than Nordic skiing. And it's kind of the intermediary between Nordic and downhill skiing. 
where you have skis that usually have a detachable heel, but a fixed toe. And so you can basically go uphill with them. And then once you're at the top of where you are, you clip your heels in and then you can ski downhill. And when you go on the uphill, you're probably wondering how you do that. You attach skins to your skis, which have a traction mechanism that allows you to go up on the snow and you pull those off before you go down. Um, there's also telemark skiing, which is kind of the original backcountry skiing, actually. Like prior to skins and plastic ski boots, there's this beautiful kind of skiing, which is referred to as telemark skiing, where your heel is never fixed. And so when you go down, it looks like you're doing like lunges, a million lunges. Um, but some people still telemark. You know, the, the old gangsters still tell Mark. Are you an old gangster? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, no. Um, I wish, though. I do. I mean, those old school telemarkers. Oh, wow. They know how to ski like nobody else. What is your preferred type of skiing? Well, it depends what I'm like if I, you know, if I'm if I if it's a weekday and I need like an hour outside then I will probably go, you know, for a, for a classic or a skate ski because it's easy, convenient, quick workout. A backcountry ski is like more of a... Oh, sorry. Can we just interject here to say that you actually cross-country skied from your house to my house tonight, which is like super cool. Yeah, it's not. And it's not like we're not neighbors. Like it took 45 minutes and 99% of it was on groomed ski trails. That's that's a northern like that goes to show you how skiing is northern related. Totally, not many people can do that. We're very lucky. Okay, sorry. And back over to uh, backcountry skiing, which is uh, where I was. I was asking you which oh, yeah. which you prefer. Oh yeah, so backcountry is more like a. I mean, you could go for an hour in backcountry ski tour, but but if you're going in the mountains to backcountry ski tour, it's nice to be out for the whole day because that's how you. You know, it's kind of a, yeah, it's an all-day affair. It's a, it's a committed, you, typically you'll want to get, you know, some elevation. Maybe you'll have an objective, like a summit or something. Or maybe you're just doing shorter laps, uh, you know, in the mountains. But still, it's it's more involved and it's nicer. It's, an, it's yeah, it's more typically like a full-day activity. Okay, so th- we've got skiing covered. Now, like, in what way is skiing and dating connected for you (laughs) right right we're talking about dating (laughs) um well that's a good question because I didn't think that they were related at all until recently a friend of mine said she hinted something about how I could talk about skiing and dating and I was like well this no and then I was like wait a sec uh like most of my Yukon dates or hookups have been ski related somehow. So that I guess that's why we're here. <laughs> What's a memorable uh, ski date you've been on? A memorable ski date. So I was also thinking recently of if um, anyone that I had dated in the Yukon wasn't a skier. Like if I had to teach them how to ski, for example. And I was like, I don't think so. I was like, oh, wait, there's one. <laughs> and he's a paddler not a skier not like like 
he was a hockey skater actually like a hockey player so he you know was like into winter things I guess but skiing mm -mm, you know and he uh really wanted to go to his um like a, a cabin that belonged to his family or friends of family but it was only ski accessible in the winter and he knew that I was obsessed with skiing and he knew that he knew nothing about skiing and so he said would you take me like would you go to this cabin with me and I was like sure I had a crush on him yeah sure I'll go to a cabin with you <laughs> on skis yes and he's like I don't have skis and I was like oh my god oh my god oh my god like I'm gonna break all my rules and teach this person I have a crush on to ski oh god so I like you know kind of like took a second collected my patience I was like all right we'll get you some skis we're gonna go to this cabin and we did we I got him a pair of skis and we were outfitted with like backcountry NNN skis which are similar to backcountry or telemark skis but they are skinnier they look like nordic skis but they have metal edges so they're a little wobbly like not as you know secure as a downhill ski so for a beginner like himself it was you know they're not they don't feel like you don't feel like a superstar on them right away necessarily and the trek that we had was significant it was like over 20k in on non-tracked um old um sort of sled dog trails that hadn't been packed down in years and years and years and uh it was definitely an adventure there was a lot of falling um but we we made it to this cabin and sorry that's super impressive and I imagine you're carrying like big backpacks as well like with overnight gear and stuff or I mean like cabin food and sleeping bags and yeah. stuff yeah so we didn't we didn't bring a tent although I think we talked about it because we knew that the possibility it was possible that we wouldn't make it given you know primarily his lack of skiing abilities um so yeah but we had yeah we had packs and anyways we made it in we had a super nice night the the northern lights were crazy that night and then a storm blew in it was like the nor north wind blizzard came in the next day it was like minus 30 without wind chill and the winds were blowing like 60 kilometers an hour it was a total whiteout like this cabin was on a lake couldn't see anything and we both had to work the next day but we had brought an inreach that's a satellite communication device and we ended up both respectively texting our bosses and being like legitimately we're weathered in and can't get out like for real not just because we were like having a nice time for reals so we ended up spending a second bonus night at this cabin in this crazy storm and then the next day was a little warmer and the winds had died a little and we were able to make it out the next day and it was a wonderful adventure with a great guy that does sound amazing. Um, yeah, and super memorable and just like, but challenging as well, especially with the fresh snow. You had to work hard on the way out too. Yeah, I mean, did he break trail? I think I think he broke trail a little bit, probably. But, you know, it wasn't too bad, but it was definitely an adventure. Going on a date like that with someone, you, it's like 10 dates or 20 oh, yeah. dates in one. So like, what do you, like, what do you get to learn about somebody when you're, when you're in the backcountry at a hut with them and... You're right, like going on a backcountry 
ski day or an overnight is like 10 dates in one because you get to do so many things with them. You're, you know, you're not just skiing the whole time. You're riding in the car. Uh, you're, I don't know, maybe like dealing with gear or whatever. Uh, if you're going on an overnight trip, you get to see like what they bring for food. You get to see like how competent they are in the outside. And also when you're outside, it brings out a whole different side of people, right? Like when you're, um, yeah, when you're in the elements and, and it's also like a really nice way to see how people uh, are in the mountains. And also you encounter things that, you know, need patience or, you know, different, I guess, different skill sets or like parts of people that you wouldn't necessarily see like going for a beer date, like, you know, so you get to see a lot in, about someone when you go backcountry with them. And as well, if you're um, backcountry touring, like like on um, Telemark gear or Alpine touring gear, like if you're always still going to avalanche terrain, there's also some like, I guess, conversations that you have to have and sort of like skill assessing and like assessing like, um, I guess, risk tolerance and stuff like that as well. Yeah, I mean, totally. Like you, if you're going, okay, so backtracking a bit, when you're going backcountry, you can do a whole bunch of different kinds of backcountry. Like you don't necessarily have to go in the mountains to go backcountry skiing. But here in Whitehorse, it's preferable to go to the passes and go to the mountains. But with that comes the risk that you might be entering into avalanche terrain or just simply the fact that you're going somewhere remote with someone that you don't really know super well and you don't really know, like, can they save me if I get into trouble or can I save them, you know? And so... You kind of have to have like the talk <laughs> about what their risk tolerance is, but also what their background and education is. Like, do you know how to use your beacon? That's a transceiver that helps people locate you if you've been buried in an avalanche. I don't know, like I might have a crush on you, but do you know how to use your beacon? <laughs> or, you know, how often do you practice with your beacon? Or like, are you aware that, you know, if, you, if, you, if we get into trouble, you know, we the, the SOS button on your inReach isn't going to be as effective here as it is in wherever, I don't know, other parts of Canada, for example. So, um, so yeah, you kind of have to have this like awkward talk, which actually is nice because it like it, it opens things up really quick, really fast in terms of like honesty and trust in some ways. And yeah, and I wonder, like, like you talked a little bit about it, but like personality things come out too, like, like ego and, and yeah. things like that, hey? Like you can tell a lot about someone with how they are on, on the day out with them. Like if they wait for you on the skin track or if they don't, or if they let you go in front or if they don't, or if they like brought fancy chocolate to share, <laughs> you know, little details like that. And you're a very competent um, skier and outdoors person. Um, do you ever find like, is there some like interesting dynamics with guys who are maybe like a bit uncomfortable with that? Well, I have been told that I can be intimidating sometimes. Um, but I try to check that too, you know, and like realize that if I am going skiing with someone like, to not, you know, I just try to take their word for, um, you know, what their experience is. And like, like I said, kind of be, be open and honest about it. Um, but I was reflecting recently how it is, you know, like, it's interesting to think about how if I go out with a group of boys, for example, 
I'm like, yeah, you know, the girl going out with a bunch of guys. Yes, I can keep up, you know. And it's, it's interesting to have those reflections, like, as if I'm still thinking that and we're 2021, you know. It shouldn't even be an issue. But I guess being, just being aware of it is, is helpful. Anyways, regardless, I, I hope I don't seem too intimidating. So that's sort of backcountry. Like, so if you're going for a cross-country ski date, like what can you learn about somebody just going for like an evening cross-country ski? Oh, so much. Well, yes, there's a lot you can learn about them. Like, you know, are they going to show up in spandex or are they going to show up in like fleece pants? You know, like I, I, this, don't take this in a way that hopefully comes, you know, like I'm not judging here, you know, but you can tell a lot about someone who shows up in spandex versus someone who shows up in fleece pants. You know, you can tell like, oh yeah, okay, they must be this kind of skier and have this kind of background or whatever. Uh, Sorry, sidebar. Did you see the guy skiing in full denim all this fall? I actually know him. And I know, and I know the story too. Oh, you do? Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, he's super cool. He, like, skied in denim to raise funds for, uh, for like, to raise money for women's hygiene project products, which is super cool. But, uh, yeah, hilarious. Like, full denim in minus 20, 25 for a full month. Like, mega props. Neat stuff. Yeah, I saw him multiple times, and then I asked a friend of a friend. I was like, "Okay, what's the deal with denim guy?" And he's a he's a sweet skier too. Like anyway, so that's great that he was doing that. But to add to that, it's more than just about what you show up wearing. You know, like if you go for an evening cross country ski with someone, uh, it, the conversation can go anywhere really, and it I think it's t- quite t- it can be quite telling of someone's personality. I think when you're skiing too, it's like. I guess it could be compared to kind of going for like another kind of activity on a date. But skiing is so meditative, right? So I think it like allows you to maybe it maybe it allows your mind to think about other things. And so you could potentially have like more interesting conversations on a ski date. I'm just pausing there because I'm like skate skiing like skates like you know like if someone's not the most technically competent competent it's like physically very challenging and I feel like they'd actually be pretty out of breath sometimes (laughs) that's true I guess I was thinking of classic Nordic skiing as opposed to skate skiing because yeah you would probably be a bit out of breath (laughs) right because classic you can kind of like go at walking pace basically it's not too bad yeah um this is sort of an oddball question, but like, do you think there's any qualities that like sort of skiers under like the umbrella of types of skiers, but just generally speaking qualities that skiers have that would make them like good people to date or good potential partners? Like, are you referring to how sexy telemark skiers are? I think, yes, I am. (laughs) Right. We didn't even get into like telemark is your preferred mode for backcountry skiing. Well, okay, I, I well, tel- Telemark is beautiful because it's so hard to do well and it's so old school and it's kind of legendary, you know, but it's really hard to do. Um, so when I go out to the backcountry, I will take my alpine touring gear, which means I can fix my heels in so I have more control. But if I go to the hill, for sure, I'll Telemark because it's, 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 Telemarking is not about speed. It's not about hitting the jumps. It's about, like, how beautiful you can make your turns, you know? Um, 
Well, okay. And so the hill, that's our local ski, ski hill, SEMA. So how do you feel when you see someone pulling this like beautiful telemark turn? Oh, it's amazing. You know, it's like you watch them make this turn and it's like there's a rainbow above them. It's so, it's so, it's so aesthetically beautiful to watch like the, you know, but um, speaking of that, the one of the last times I was at SEMA, so it's kind of rare now that it's rarer that you see a telemarker on the hill because, I mean, let's face it, it's kind of sketchy for your knees because most telemark, old school telemark bindings don't release. So it's a bit dangerous, but, but, um, and also it's, you know, like hitting jumps is arguably more fun <laughs> with fixed heels. But when you do see a telemarker at the hill, it's amazing. And recently I was uh, at the hill. Uh, taking a work break on a Friday afternoon and I it was sunny and I spotted this person make an, an amazing telemark turn and I couldn't see you know like any like long hair coming out of their helmet and and you know just their kind of like body position and and from what I could tell from the trailer it's like oh that's a dude and wow that was a nice telemark turn and I'm gonna catch up to them and flirt with them just for fun because it's a telemarker. Why not? And uh, so I, I caught up. I, I sped down the hill, caught up to them on the next lap. And as I was approaching this person, and I was thinking about like, ooh, like, you know, nice lunges or something. I was thinking about something to say. And then I was like, got closer. And I was like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. That's an 85-year-old man. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> Wait, so you abandoned your nice compliment? I kind of did like one of those awkward, like you got kind of like going up to someone and you're like, whoa, turn the other way. Whoops. <laughs> but, I, you know, I should have been like, wow, your telemark turns were beautiful. Anyway, if I see that person again, I'll for sure tell them that. Yeah, you might have made his day coming from a fellow telemarker, especially. <laughs> Maybe. Um, why is telemarking kind of old school? I guess it's because, yeah, gear has gotten better and it used to be like lighter and things have just, I guess, alpine touring gear developed and yeah. Yeah. Well, telemark is the original backcountry, right? Like backcountry equipment where you, where you could, you know, take your heel out to go up, but then put it back in to go down is super recent technology. So the original backcountry is, is telemark skiing, like three pin leather boot style. Wooden skis, the whole kit. <laughs> Beautiful. Yeah, the old three-pin boots. You see those around at a lot of thrift stores. But now, like, people want those for, like, I don't yeah. know, put on their wall or collector items or whatever. <laughs> um, I think we kind of touched on this a little bit, but sort of um, is, is, is a non-skier a deal, deal breaker? Or someone who doesn't ski, is that sort of a deal breaker for you in terms of dating or relationships? Oh, my gosh. I've been thinking about this a lot. And it. Uh, there's a fine balance to strike where I don't sound like a judgmental person <laughs> and where I have to check what's important. And and I think that it relates to um, sharing interests and passions with a partner and whether that's important to you or not. And so for myself, because being outside in the mountains and skiing um, – you know, is so important and, and for so many reasons, it would be really hard to not share that with someone. Like the emotions I feel when I'm like, you know, I've summited a peak and I can see like, you know, the ice fields 200 kilometers away or whatever. Like those are such powerful moments that are so nice to share. Like if you get home and your partner doesn't ski and you're like, and they're like, how was your day? And you're like, oh my God, you have no idea. 
you're like, I just saw the most amazing thing. And, and like, they're like on their cell phone or something, you know, like that, that would be a deal breaker. But I suppose if they like could relate in some other way to the like emotional highs and lows that you might experience out in the mountains, then, then maybe less of a deal breaker. I mean, you've touched on it a little bit throughout maybe, but like, what do you, what do you really love about skiing and being in the backcountry? Uh, so many things. Uh, let's see if I can order some of them. Okay, no, not in any particular order. But uh, like, do, what do I love about being outside like with someone or just like in general? Um, I think just like we didn't really we didn't really get into like why you love skiing. Uh, so, yeah. Well, recently I was talking to someone and I had this like epiphany and I was like, we were watching kids toboggan down a hill and how like stoked they were. They were getting like their faces full of snow. And I like had this moment where I thought skiing is the same thing, but for adults, it's kind of like keeping in touch with your, with that childlike gleefulness when you're sliding down snow and it's exhilarating and it's fun. It's kind of like the adult version of tobogganing, you know, with a little more skill. Maybe, although maybe not. <laughs> but I mean, that's only one part. You know, it's exhilarating and it's fun. And But it's so much more than that. It's being outside in the elements. And when I personally find when you're outside, you share, you share like these really deep moments with whoever you're with when you spend extended times outside. And skiing is like one you know, it's the winter means to doing that, at least in the Yukon where you can ski like, I don't know, well, arguably almost 12 months of the year. That last year I tried to ski every month of the year. I failed in, in August, but, uh, but you could say that, you know, you could ski 11 months of the year in Yukon. So yeah, you share like really special moments with people when you're outside with them. Um, and that's nice. That's a beautiful answer. <laughs> Is it time to ask you about your new skis? Oh my God. Yes. Okay. So as a lead in um, to your new pair of skis, first of all, tell us how many skis are in your shed or how many, how many pairs of skis you have? Well, I have like regular skis. I have rock skis, which means those are the skis you use in the earlier late season. I have telemark skis. I have two pairs of backcountry skis. I have seven pairs of skis good you connor <laughs> and my newest pair of skis this is where i get to do a plug for a really awesome uh duo working out of haynes alaska who are making amazingly beautiful backcountry touring skis they're called fairweather ski works and i think they've been making skis for probably close to 10 years in haynes maybe five to ten years and what is so cool about their skis, there's so many things, but they try to use local material as much as possible. So they use local um, spruce and birch from Hanes, and they don't paint the top sheet of their skis so you can see the wood grain. But then what they do is they print uh, like local art on the skis, and it's usually artists from, from Alaska somewhere who they might know or whose art they think is really cool. Um, I just saw on their Instagram page today this brand new pair of skis that they actually, so usually they print the art, 
Um, but this artist like hand painted this split board for this customer that they had in Juno, I think. It's amazing. Anyway, they they are a really cool company. It's like the most local skis to Whitehorse that you can get. They're, they think a lot about the environment and their impact and they really just support like getting out there. Like Graham, the, the owner uh, and his partner, Lindsay, told me the when I when I got skis from them, they said, try to take these skis out and hit some rocks on your first day so that, you know, you can break them in real good. <laughs> That's good advice. And then you need a new pair of skis sooner. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just kidding, Graham. Um, yeah, those are some special. I've seen them. They're beautiful skis. We'll also post a photo on our Facebook page. Um, and also, like, they seem like they could be potentially a good conversation starter as well. Oh, 100%. Like if I, if I, for sure, like if I'm outside, you know, like, oh yeah, I went out last weekend and we're packing the skis into this, into the Thule, you know, ski roof rack box at the end of the day. And I've got my friend's skis in one hand and my skis in the other. And I'm like, gosh, yours are so light. And he looks around, he's like, but yours are the prettiest. (laughs) And I was like, "Mm, yes. But for sure, I joke that like, you know, maybe uh, maybe I could meet some some dudes on the skin track with these skis because they're I think they're they're, you know, like eye turners. Like you're like, ooh, wow. What kind of chick is rocking those bad boys? Yeah, for sure. They're unique and they are beautiful. <laughs> and do they have a nickname? Um, sometimes my friends refer to my skis as my boyfriends. And how do you feel about that? I mean, they're faithful to me. (laughs) That sounds like a good boyfriend. I mean, like one quality of a good boyfriend, I suppose. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's it's funny. I think it 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 is a it is a indication of how um, important it is for me to get out in the mountains and spend time outside with my skis. Okay, so we had a question from. a listener slash friend. Um, and what it, she wanted to know how you get from skiing to dating. Yeah, she wanted to know because here I am telling her like, oh, um, yeah, my, my, you know, Yukon dates or flings have been ski related. Like either I've met them on the skin track or at a ski race or we've gone to a cabin together and had a good time or, and she's like, well, how, how do you get from like the skiing part to the making out part? And um, I had to think about that for a minute. And I was like, well, first of all, it's context dependent. Like, you know, maybe you're at a ski race and there's an after party at the ski race. And then, you know, things evolve from there. Or if you go to a cabin with someone uh, who like I have definitely asked someone who I hadn't been on a previous date with to go on an overnight like cabin trip, you know, and so like. You go from, I mean, it doesn't always end up in making out, obviously. But uh, to answer that listener's question, I think you just like it kind of relates to all the other answers, like of getting to know someone slowly and deciding whether you're into it or not, you know, and then one thing leads to the next, I guess. I mean, if you're in a cabin, too, and it's like, minus a million outside and there's a fire happening and you're having wine and you're playing crib and like someone brought a nice meal like 
the that I mean making out is the obvious next step, right? Right. <laughs> it, I mean, it, <laughs> if it's someone that you're interested in dating, you know, right? Consent, all that stuff. But yes, no, for sure. And Ellery, as you were just saying that, I was just remembering because you talked about meeting potentially meeting someone at a ski race, and sometimes there's parties after the races, and like. The last big party I was at before COVID was after a ski race, the Buckwheat Ski Classic in Skagway, Alaska, and you and I were there, and it was so much fun. And you made out with a guy. I made out with a guy who was not a skier, but I made out with a guy. And anyways, but that, oh, yeah. And I was like, why have I not been to this race every year? So fun. Right? I was actually thinking of a different ski race after party. But like, yes, the buckwheat after party is like, maybe we should talk about that for a second. Because that's like, like, uh, international mixing, mingling situation there. And, and uh, it's pretty hilarious. Like, wasn't the buckwheat in part established i heard a rumor about this in part established so that the dudes from skagway could meet the girls from whitehorse and potentially hook up like isn't that part of the origins of the buckwheat ski race yeah i believe it is (laughs) see so like there's a link between skiing and dating right there it's perfect oh my gosh yes that yes i'm not crazy Well, we knew that, but now we've got a lot of backers to that. And yeah, actually, uh, yeah, we'll have to do a future episode about the buckwheat that might be in 2022, but like down the road. Or like, I think maybe sometimes the buckwheat stories like stay at the buckwheat. You know, I'm not, I'm not sure you want an episode on buckwheat flings, but that it'd be, it'd probably be funny. I'm so glad we got to end on the note of the Buckwheat Ski Classic and got to put a little plug in for that and um, for skiing. And it's been so great talking to you. Thank you. You too. Thank you. I'm going to end this episode a little bit differently, dedicating it to the memory of Kevin Whiting. Kevin died in an avalanche in Valmont, BC this week. I hadn't talked to Kevin for quite a while but we actually messaged shortly before his trip I told him I was working on this podcast and he said he would take a listen when he got out and I was planning actually to send him this episode specifically to start with because as a skier I knew he would probably be able to relate to it Kevin had a ton of friends in the Yukon and is leaving a huge hole in everyone's hearts Ski on, Kevin.